The world's worst countries are price-fixing oil and Joe Biden is panicking. And then Kian Simone, our chief documentary filmmaker, joins us to discuss his latest hit project. It's October 5th, 2022. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, but you are watching The Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Friends, will you indulge me in subjecting you to two minutes of CNN? I know it's a big ask, but I promise it'll be worth it because it shows you the Biden White House getting absolutely mugged by reality thanks to OPEC+. Plus. Now, OPEC+, Plus is the oil cabal populated by some of the worst countries on the face of the earth. Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and Russia. Not exactly the people you want to buy your oil from when there's such a friendly place just to the north, dying to finish a pipeline so that we can create some Canadian jobs, some American jobs, and of course, do the moral and righteous thing of getting American money out of the pockets of their enemies and global human rights abusers, if you care about those sorts of things. And I'm told the White House does. OPEC Plus manipulates world oil prices through production cuts, withholding oil and glut dumps. The more you buy from them, the more you're at the whims of these dictators. And of course, the more you finance their evil impacts on the world. Now, right now, Americans are struggling so much with sky high oil prices that Biden has been emptying the strategic reserve of oil to drive costs down. The strategic reserve is not there to drive prices of oil down at the pump to save a few Democrats in the looming midterm elections. It's an emergency reserve in case of war, natural disaster, or other catastrophes. It's not a campaign tool for a senile, exploited old man like Joe Biden. Today in Geneva, though, the ghouls of OPEC Plus announced a significant cut to output in an effort to raise oil prices. The proposed cut is about 2 million barrels per day which of course will cause U.S. gasoline prices to jump at the pumps with voters just five weeks away from those midterm elections when the Democrats are going to get slaughtered, which according to even the most liberal sources over at CNN is causing a very panicky reaction from the Democrats. Just watch this. In our money lead election day, just five weeks away, the Biden administration working overtime to keep gas prices from skyrocketing with a new plan to try to stop Saudi Arabia and other Middle Eastern countries from cutting oil production. CNN's Alex Marquardt and Matt Egan join us. Alex, you're reporting that White House officials are, quote, taking the gloves off. Oh, that's my least favorite metaphor from White Houses, but in any way, according to one U.S. official, to stop this from happening. So tell us what, what you're hearing, what they're planning. Well, that same U.S. official uh, said that the White House, in fact, is panicking, um, that this is something that they de desperately do not want to happen. Cutting Oil production means higher oil prices, means higher gas prices. That, of course, is something that the Biden administration does not want to happen right now. So tomorrow, there is this meeting of the oil-producing countries, this cartel known as OPEC. is it ostensibly led by Saudi Arabia. Russia is also a member. The United States is not a member. And what we have learned, myself and our colleagues Natasha Bertrand and Phil Mattingly, is that there is this furious, last-ditch, wide-scale effort to lobby the OPEC plus oil producing countries to not cut oil production, that uh, senior members of the Biden administration are reaching out to members of the cartel, including Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, uh, and the United Arab Emirates. The cartel could cut as much as one million barrels a day in production. 
That would be the biggest cut uh, since, the pen, since the beginning of the pandemic. Now, this effort is being led by the top Biden administration official for energy, Amos Hochstein. Uh, they've also enlisted the, uh, the top White House official for the Middle East, Brett McGurk. But interestingly, they've also, just to show you how widespread this is, reached out to the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, um, asking her to reach out to, to, to contemporary, to counterparts around the world. And we actually got talking points that the White House sent to Treasury that have very blunt language suggesting uh, that Yellen say some of this to her, to, to her counterparts. Um, they say that this would be a total disaster, would be seen as a hostile act against the United States. Uh, this is very blunt language. The White House says that these were draft talking points and not used, but it does give insight into how nervous they are, Jake. A hostile act, interesting phrase. If OPEC simply cuts production but still sells the oil to you and doesn't cut off your access to the oil, that's a hostile act? What should we then call the Biden administration's first order of business? Cutting off access to Canadian oil by terminating the permits for the Keystone XL pipeline, a pipeline that was almost fully completed and, if completed, will bring Alberta oil from Hardesty, Alberta, across the border to refineries and consumers in the United States. Should Canada consider that a hostile act? Should Alberta? We're trying to sell you oil, Biden. Keystone would have made up almost half of that OPEC cut, supplying 830,000 barrels of reliable oil every day. It's good for us. It's good for you. And it's good for the safety and security of the world. It's good for the world's most vulnerable people and bad for America's enemies. But the thing is, according to CNN, once again, Biden doesn't see the world's evil price-fixing cabal as enemies. I think the White House describes them as partners in this statement. Look at this. In a statement to CNN, National Security Council spokesperson Adrian Watson said, We've been clear that energy supply should meet demand to support economic growth and lower prices for consumers around the world, and we will continue to talk with our partners about that. But what partners? Not us. Biden, you blocked our pipeline, killed those jobs on both sides of the border. And now you're begging the world's dictators to be nice to you. And if they decide to manipulate the price, you're calling that a hostile act. What would we call attacking Canadian jobs, stigmatizing our oil as worse than blood-soaked dictator oil? Hostile? Probably. According to the White House's definition, yeah. And where's Trudeau? Calling Washington? <laughs> no, that would be too helpful for Alberta. He's probably windsurfing off a hangover somewhere today. The world needs more Alberta right now. The problem is Alberta needs less Ottawa and less Washington holding us back. Stay with us. Kian Simone joins me to discuss his new documentary, Ungovernable, Alberta's Quest for Independence, right after the break. Friends, my monologue today was about how the world needs more Alberta. The world will be more free if the world gets more of Wild Rose Country. But on the flip side, Alberta might be a little bit more free if we have a lot less of Ottawa. And joining me now to discuss his new documentary about just that is my friend, head of documentaries here at Rebel News, Kian Simone. Kian, tell us about your new documentary because as an Albertan, I think you told the story very well. Um, 
but you didn't just tell the story for us. You told it for people who are looking in at us, like I think you were for so long. But first, let's talk about the documentary itself. What is it? Yeah, so it is uh, It's called Ungovernable, Alberta's Quest for Independence. And I guess just from that name, it, it sounds controversial, but it's really not. It explores all the anger that Albertans have been feeling for the last 117 years um, from the uh, intentional malicious attacks from Ottawa. And it, it dives in from all the way to how our vote doesn't matter. Um, by the time Ontario already votes, it's already counted it that Alberta's doesn't matter. It dives in from the... Uh, Pierre, uh, Pierre, Pauly, uh, Pierre Trudeau's attacks on the oil and gas industry um, all the way up until Justin Trudeau. Uh, and it has this very like father, like son um, kind of sentiment to it. Um, I, I, I think that those two are the, are the biggest that sum it up as well as the, uh, of how about how our culture here, I say our as an Alberta now, um, we can get into that after, but um, how our culture is, is, basically being attacked and and it's funny because when I say Albertan culture a lot of people think redneck and I would have said that too if it was four years ago but it really is our culture is respect God family and um, believe it or not country um, we're very patriotic here about um, the place that we live and I think that um, the, the Alberta documentary really um, highlights that now that patriotism is kind of just coming into just within Alberta and not so much about country anymore because um, the country, um, quoting some of the people in the documentary, has already left us. So why would we be patriotic to a country that is gone? Now, I want to get into your very interesting viewpoint because, you know, I'm a lifelong Albertan. I live on the family farm. We've been here since before Alberta was a province. So I think I have a very good nose for what makes up Alberta culture. And I think you're right. It's um, God, it's country, it's family, it's hard work, and it's independence, and it's being left alone. Um, but you're new here. <laughs> but I think you came here for the same reasons my ancestors came here. Freedom, opportunity, being left alone, being able to live your life exactly how you want to. Did, did you learn anything new about us? You say that maybe four years ago you would have perceived us as rednecks, but since you you came here. What, what's your take on who and what we are? Well, I think that the, the answer to that question um, is actually starts like five years ago. Um, back in 2017, if you had asked me who I would have voted for, I would have told you Justin Trudeau. And that's because it would have been legalizing college and giving us free weed. Or sorry, the other way around. Um, <laughs> that's how much weed I smoked in college. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was, he appealed so much to the youth and, and it wasn't so much about the the things that we worry so much about today and why politics is so important. And that kind of just um, dragged along until COVID happened where I was kind of like, okay, I don't think I like the government too much right now. And I was looking for something else. And I saw this, this wave of this bastion of freedom, which was Alberta. And I said, well, I'm not going to get discriminated against there. Even if the government does discriminate against me, more people there won't be doing that. And that was why I came here. And that was exactly what I learned, um, even knowing it in my head, just from seeing it on social media and, and seeing the comments from Albert and saying, yeah, come here, we're open, we're free. Um, you actually do see that when you're here. And it wasn't about, are you vaccinated or not? It was, it was literally about, I don't care who you are. I'm happy that you're here. And, and as long as you're not, you know, stepping on my lawn or taking money out of my pocket, I don't care. And that's exactly where everybody would want to be if, 
they weren't so caught up in the in the hysteria. And I think that's what's so beautiful about Alberta. Yeah, I think, and that's showing in the inbound migration into Alberta. And, you know, Jason Kenney, to his credit, and uh, it pains me to say that, he is wisely advertising and poaching all the young, um, maybe entrepreneurial-minded people who want to get ahead with his uh, Alberta is Calling ads that he's placed in I the TTC great. in Toronto. I think it's Genius. great. It, it's so smart because it is true. It is cheaper to live here. We, even if the government won't leave you alone, your neighbors sure will. Um, and you know, I think it's sort of that same tapping into that same sentiment that Pierre Polyev is. We're talking to young people about, look, if you ever want to own a house, you can't do that with Justin Trudeau. Jason Kenney's saying the same thing. You ever want to own a house, you cannot do that in John Tory's Toronto. Yeah, and that's um, another reason why I chose Calgary of all places to move to. Um, I knew I needed to be downtown. To I, I'm I'm young and I wasn't ready for the farm life just yet. I, I want to we'll explore get, more. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was looking at rent in Toronto, and you get um, someone's crappy basement with a bunch of leaks in it, and you're paying twenty five hundred dollars a month for one bedroom, five hundred square feet, and that's not an exaggeration. And I come here, and I have a two bedroom apartment that's huge. And I, I pay like $1,300. So I get money in my pocket to actually go see the mountains or buy the things that I want to buy or put money, save money to be able to buy that house that is still to this day affordable here. And uh, yeah, that Alberta calling thing, it it, it got me before, before the, the whole campaign. It would have got me now. I think that's great. Now, I want to talk more about the documentary. I think people who don't watch the documentary will immediately say, this is just a separatist pipe dream documentary. But I don't think it is. I think you go through the historical inequities, lay it out, actually talk to Albertans, which is something that the Laurentian elites never do. They never find out why we are so disgruntled with Confederation. And then you talk to a bunch of different people with a bunch of different takes and a bunch of different solutions. It's not just one solution, we've got to leave or we've got to join the United States. There's a bunch of different people that you talk to who have looked at this from different viewpoints and said, okay, so these are the problems. This is the way that I see that we can fix it. Yeah, and I think that um, that that was the most complicated part about it. Um, you know, I, I, I interviewed uh, Derek Fildebrand first. Um, he was the he was the one that said, "Yeah, let's do it tomorrow." I was like, "Oh, I don't even think I'm ready." So I went <laughs> and we just had a conversation, and uh, I pitched a half an hour interview with everybody, and that one turned out to be an hour and forty five minutes. And I ended the interview like I have no idea what I just got into. This is a hundred and seventeen years of anger, and there's so many stories and so many premiers and prime ministers that did Alberta wrong, or it just it just goes forever. So it was really tough to to kind of bring it all into um it's an hour and 52 minutes long which is it is long um but yeah and then i was able to find some um actual separatists who are who can articulate the idea and i think that that's so important now and derek puts this in the same way and and you put it and, and ezra would put it the same way too is before separatists was just it was all about anger but there was no actual ideas it was like okay we're gonna leave but i don't know how and now people are actually talking about those ideas about how it could go through and what they would need um, 
to not separate. And I think that that's so important because some, every single person interviewed in the documentary, separatist or not, can agree on the same things of what Alberta's need, Albert, Albertans need. And that is really the idea of the documentary, is that Albertans really need some things that make Canada a safe place to live. And it's scary to say that Canada is not a safe place to live for Albertans. Yeah, you know, it's um, when you talk to people who are separatists these days, there are, of course, enthusiastic separatists, but there are so many reluctant ones who are like, I, we tried this. The West wanted in. We got Stephen Harper. We had 10 years of fairly stable, good governance. But the liberals always get back in. And then they always they do the same everything. thing. They reverse everything and they do all the things that liberals always do to the West. They attack agriculture. They attack our property rights. They attack our gun rights, which are the same as property rights. They attack our oil and gas industry. And it's always, always to buy votes in Eastern Canada. And there are a lot of people who are saying, I love Canada. I really do. I love my fellow Canadians. I don't want to go, but I'm being shoved out the door with no other options by the federal government. Quebec wants to stay in the country, but take the Canadian flag down. And Alberta wants to leave the country, but leave the flag up. Yeah, what and a great way to put it. Everything. And, you know, your documentary sort of addresses this strange unfairness that happens to Albertans when we talk about separatism or rethinking. When we talk about anything, when we, yeah. when we talk about, like how you say, putting our shoulders up or our elbows up against the federal government, it's that the federal government looks at us like we're kooks or, or idiots or extremists or um, far right, whatever. Um, but it's simply not the case because that's exactly what Quebec has done for the last, since whatever the 1960s or since Canada was a country. Quebec says, okay, well, I'm, I'm walking away. And then Canada's like, no, please come back. We'll give you whatever the hell you want. And yeah. it, it could be the same thing for Alberta if, if, uh, if we weren't viewed as, as, as how I was putting it at the start of that. Yeah, it's, um, there is a certain, even, even, even in when we talk about separatism, we are treated unfairly. Um, as opposed to th the complete total normalization of separatism in Quebec. It's fine to be a politician who's a separatist. It's fine to be a musician who's a separatist. It's fine to be a journalist who's a separatist. It's part of their culture. And you it's can be a separatist. Fine, it's cool. It's cool. Like you can be a separatist or not a separatist. And it doesn't make you a radical white supremacist. But if you say, you know what? I think we're getting maybe screwed a little bit on equalization, all of a sudden you're fringe radical in Alberta, you're attacked by the media, you are fact-checked by people who couldn't find a fact with both hands on a flashlight, you are talked down to by um, sometimes your own Alberta politicians and the federal government. And so even it's funny because even when we talk about separatism, you can see the inequities of how Alberta is treated within Confederation. And that's that's exactly it. Um, I'm going to use a conspiracy term, but I always thought when I first got here that Quebec separatism was like a psyop. Like it was like it was it was so in the media. I learned about it in school. You learn about it everywhere. And when you say someone's going to separate from somewhere, immediately you think of Quebec. And I had no idea that, especially in the 1980s here, that the sentiment was extremely like it was a lot. It was it was high. 
and and even like along the the way that um, Albertans are are thinking about this, but nobody talks about it because it's all about Quebec. And why I say it's like a psyop, it's probably the wrong word to use, but it just it comes in my head that Alberta has all the money, Alberta has all the oil, Alberta has every raw rare earth material you need, and uh, it kind of goes into Saskatchewan and Manitoba. But it, with that region, we have everything that Canada needs, everything that the world needs, especially today. And why aren't, like, obviously the federal government, that's another story of why they aren't letting us export it or, or produce it or whatever. Like, we have all that and nobody's taking it, nobody's using it. And, and Quebec is the one that everybody wants to talk about when they're angry that whatever they're angry about, I don't even know, that people don't, out here don't speak French, so they're mad. Um, like it's it's just it's such a weird phenomenon that nobody looks at Alberta in that way, and I think that's on purpose because if we weren't painted with such a picture of if we were to separate or to talk about some sort some form of independence that we we're a far right extremist, and I think that's because we have all the money. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and it is true that um, you know. Quebec sort of uses talk of separatism as some sort of blackmail towards the federal government. We don't want anything. <laughs> we just, we literally don't want anything. We just we want to be, we want less. We want to be left alone. It's, it's a, it's a remarkable dichotomy there. Um, and as an Albertan, more and more, I respect what those Quebecers are up to with the federal government, even though I probably fundamentally disagree with them on every single point. This idea of, as you say, putting your elbows up against the federal government at every opportunity, it's very wise. Now, I wanted to ask you, um, I know we're going a little longer than normally we would, but uh, I'm hosting today, so I'll do what I want. Um, <laughs> we're running up to the announcement of the next leader of the United Conservative Party here in Alberta. And that person will be by default the premier of the province until the next election, um, where they will get a new mandate if they win. And one of, well, the front runner, the presumed winner, Danielle Smith, has been addressing some of these issues uh, that make Albertans feel alienated within Confederation. And I, I'm not sure if she's a Federalist or not. I don't really think it matters. But she is saying, look, when the Feds do something we don't like, we're just not going along. And she wants to codify that in the Sovereignty Act. Tell me what you think about that. And do you agree that the outcome is going to go the way I think it will on Thursday night? Well, I think 100% she's going to win. And I don't think she's a federalist. I think she's a regionalist. And that is further than a separatist and federalist could be. And and that's because she does it. It's none of that's what she says is about separation. And that, and that's funny because all the mainstream media is like pushing that. It's like, oh, the Sovereignty mm -hmm. Act is about separating from Canada. It's, it's far, far away from it. And in fact, it will, I think it will kill the separatist movement if she wins and then she wins the next election and the Sovereignty Act is used properly, um, mm -hmm. like how Barry Cooper and uh, Derek Fromm and, and uh, Ken Anderson, I think his name was, um, who, who formulated the, the idea. If it's used properly, it could be the thing that Alberta needs. And that would be just to give less Ottawa from Alberta. Um, 
yeah, I, I think that that it's going to go exactly how you how you said. Um, maybe that's just uh, from all the stuff that I heard in the documentary coming out of me. Um, but but looking at the she so she's really smart because even if she doesn't believe it, she's saying what she knows a lot of Albertans want to hear. Even if she doesn't go through with anything, it's still the fact that that's how many people actually want that. And that's good for um, for a regionalist, for a federalist, or a separatist living in Alberta, knowing that there's that many people who want to hear those, or who want those things that uh, Daniel Smith is, is saying. Yeah, and you know, this is not um, a fringe idea, particularly on the prairies. Saskatchewan currently has um, a legislative secretary to the premier who is specifically, so it's like a deputy minister or parliamentary secretary responsible for provincial autonomy. His job is to go around and find ways that Saskatchewan can prickle against Ottawa. And that person has been in his role well, almost two years now, Lyle Stewart. And that's his only job is to find out how we can distance ourselves from Ottawa. How can we exert autonomy over this matter of provincial jurisdiction that is none of Justin Trudeau's business. This is a real thing on the prairies. It might be frightening to people in the rest of the country who just say, well, the big bullies in Ottawa said this is something that we have to do. But this is mainstream all across the prairies and I think into the interior of BC, quite likely. Um, and it's something that, you know, they're already doing in Saskatchewan. Why wouldn't we do it here in Alberta? Well, and I, and when you were talking about, I, I knew that, but when you were talking about it there, it sounded weird that, to think that I feel like a lot of Albertans would, wouldn't want that, like in the cities. And I feel like a lot of the mainstream media would like say like, this is such a radical idea, um, not, you know, taking in the fact that the province over literally has a part in the government that does exactly that. But if someone were to do that in Alberta, it just shows to prove how the mainstream media and the federal government treat us is that I don't think that um, that would go very smoothly here. And that just goes back to what I was talking about before. It's because Alberta's Alberta. Yeah. yeah. And I even have a fantasy, fantasy football appointee for that. <laughs> I think it should be Drew Barnes. But <laughs> if we ever did that here in Alberta, that's a job for Drew Barnes right there. Um, now, um, how do people find out about the showings of the movie? Because we have three very different experiences depending on you know how you want to watch the movie so tell us a little bit about those yeah so we have a uh, theater experience watching the movies on october 12th at canyon meadows cinemas um the best movie theater in southern alberta them. um so we you can get tickets to that at albertadocumentary.com and then on october 19th we have uh dinner and a movie at buffet royale um it, it it is exactly what it sounds like and they are also the best restaurant um that is a buffet for their love of freedom of expression and freedom of speech. Love that. Um, also, albertadocumentary.com. And then we have our favorite, Church in the Vine. Um, at least it's my favorite. Maybe I shouldn't yeah. say that. But uh, on that, that's on October 30th, I believe. And yes, that's a that's a more uh, close um, kind of experience. You're you're going to be right beside a bunch of other people, and there's a lot of seats. And it's uh, it's a beautiful place to be. I love it inside there. And also, albertadocumentary.com. Yeah, the, the Church in the Vine experience, I really like because we've done our best to make it very affordable because I think our tickets are 12 bucks for that. Um, it's family friendly. We've If there's a swear, we've bleeped it out. 
and you also get popcorn and uh, a drink with that one. So it's great for the family. It's a cheap night out. And um, also you are going to meet the wonderful people from Church in the Vine. They always overload us with volunteers because they're so generous. Um, Kian, thanks so much for making this movie. I have to tell you, as a lifelong Albertan, not only was I interested in your new born again Albertan take on it, um, but I really think you nailed the problem and you made it easy for people to digest why we are so mad. I was talking to our colleague, William, and he said, you know, he knew some of the things while we were mad, but he didn't know it all. And he really understood a lot more after he walked away. So not only is this for Albertans, but people who are curious about, you know, what exactly our problem is with everybody here, why we're so darn mad. And that's why it's an hour and 52 minutes long, because it goes through everything. <laughs> Thank you for having it me, on, Sheila. It does. Thanks, Kian. Again, you can see Kian's uh, documentary, get details about when you can see doc Kian's documentary at albertadocumentary.com. Stay with us. Your letters to Ezra, unsatisfactorily read by me <laughs> right after the break. Friends, we've come to the portion of the show where we welcome your viewer feedback, unlike the mainstream media who, you know, they just want your money from Justin Trudeau, but then they want you to shut up. We actually do want to hear from you and we care what you think about the work that we're doing. If you want to get in touch with the boss, there are three different ways where you can get in touch with him there. But do not hesitate to leave a comment wherever you find us on our website. Maybe you're watching us on Rumble or perhaps even the censorship platform of YouTube. And actually, YouTube is where I take today's comments from. And today's comments are on Ezra's show the other day where he interviewed conservative commentator Manny Montenegrino on Justin Trudeau's childish, petty, vindictive lack of congratulations to the new conservative Italian Prime Minister Georgia Maloney. And Justin Trudeau literally will not shut up about what a feminist he is. So you think he would be excited that a woman was elected to lead this major Western democracy, but unfortunately she's got the wrong politics. So as you know, she doesn't exist and she just doesn't count for progressives. And just to put this all into context, Pierre Polyev, newly elected conservative leader, he congratulated Quebec's premier Francois Legault after Legault was reelected the other night. But I don't think that Pierre Polyev and Legault fall down on the same side of very many issues. But it is the grown-up, statesmanlike thing to do. World leaders congratulate world leaders all the time about winning an election. It's not an endorsement. It's just an like it's like a hey, good job you won. In fact, I think it's an indicator of what a grown-up you really are if you can set aside your political and ideological differences to recognize that somebody else has done something and done something well. Pierre Polyev was able to do that. However, Justin Trudeau was not. So let's go to the YouTube comments. Justin Gamble writes, she, Georgia, is the most impressive politician I've ever encountered in a very long time. Only in the last few years would someone with her views be considered far right. Now, her views are 
God family country. Apparently that's controversial these days. That might even mean you're a fascist. If you got all your news from the mainstream media, thankfully you people don't. Anyways, let's keep going. There's an old argument, whether times produce the person or does the person produce the times? It is, of course, both. However, I subscribe to leaning in the scale, meaning I lean toward the person produces the times side. The zeitgeist of the people can go unheard for decades longer until a particular person comes along. One of those persons, and we need more of them, in my opinion, is amongst us. Her name is Georgia. I would crawl on my hands and knees to vote for her. I love her. Now, it's it's fascinating because I feel like her election might be uh, the boomerang effect, or at least backlash, to how awful Italy was for the last two years with their rolling catastrophe of hard lockdowns and blaming the sick for being sick. And I think her election is the natural human reflex to be free and to take care of your family because the state cannot and will not take care of you, especially when the state says they're gonna, <laughs> that's when you should run the other direction. Our next comment comes from Laura Goodine or Goodine. I know I'm saying that wrong either one of those ways, who says, thank you. I'm a Canadian mother. And though I have had a professional life, I will always place a higher value on being a mother. No greater honor could ever be given to me as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. That's what I find so refreshing about Georgia Maloney, that she is the pinnacle of her professional career. I mean, she is the leader of a major Western democracy. And yet she still sees her greatest job every single day is that of a godly wife and mother. And for me, I think the most important thing that I do every day is to raise good, responsible, productive, kind children. I think it's the greatest thing we can do for the future of humanity. Next comment comes from JM890 Baker, who hints at our journalistic mission here over at Rebel News. He says, I'm glad you covered the neo-fascist lies by the mainstream media. Always find the truth via Rebel News. Yeah, the mainstream media have openly mused if this woman is some sort of crypto-fascist, crypto-Nazi, because she campaigned on God, country, family, which should not be a controversial thing whatsoever. In fact, it's the cornerstone or the three cornerstones of Western civilization. All the good things you know around here, they exist because of God, family, country, those common allegiances. It's, it's quite bizarre. But the good news is, as long as the mainstream media continues to be awful, and I think they will, I've got job security forever. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I think my friend David Menzies is hosting the show tomorrow night. So uh, catch him tomorrow. Thanks to everybody in the studio in Toronto for putting the show together. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as Ezra Levant always says, keep fighting for freedom. Drea Humphrey here with Rebel News standing at the Vancouver Art Gallery after the end of a protest in solidarity with what's happening in Iran after the brutal death to a 22-year-old named Masa Amini. She was visiting 
Iran and then was caught by the so-called morality police for apparently not wearing her hijab properly. Now, I would guess that thousands have attended today. Like I said, it's just winding down because the streets were lined with protesters standing in solidarity to free Iran from its Islamic regime. Today, I went and spoke to some of the protesters. I wanted to know why it was important for them to be here today. I wanted to know if they are protesting against the Muslim faith or something else. And I also wanted to know what their friends or family members who do wear hijabs think about these protests as well. Now you're going to join me, but just in case you're new to Rebel News, you've never heard of us, you should know that we are the largest independent media in Canada. That means we do not have any strings attached to the federal government or any government. Instead, we are only accountable to you, the public. If that seems like something you want to follow more news from, then you should check out our rebelnewsplus.com site. There you get exclusive content. You're the first to stay in the know and you even get our exclusive documentaries while supporting the independent journalism that we bring you. Again, that's rebelnewsplus.com. Okay, so tell us why you decided to wear a mask today. Um, I've got family members back home that if they identify you, then um, first of all, I can go back home if this regime will hopefully will be overthrown. If not, I can never go home and also my family back home will be in danger. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the um, protests against communist China I've covered. I find it very ironic that just behind here, and I'm letting you guys know, uh, there was celebrations in support of communist China's regime while this is happening. Very ironic. Um, but back to what's happening here. Why was it important for you guys to show up here today? It's been happening for 40 years. What this regime does arrests you if you're showing a little bit of hair. If guys, for example, are wearing short sleeve, anything so simple as having nail polish, tight jeans, if your covering is not long enough, they arrest you, you get beaten up. Sometimes these girls or boys, they don't come back home. They give the dead body to the parents if they do. And sometimes they're found dead on the side of the street. Well, today I'm here with many, many of Iranian people. And we could see not Iranian, Canadian, people are of different country. And today is about freedom for women for women around the world, but especially for Iran, who've been killed, tortured, because they want to be who they are. They want to express their choice, and they can't. That's why I'm here. All right, why was it important for you to show up here today? Because we're at a place that a revolution is happening. It's been 44 years of dictatorship and murder and unfortunately the government is shutting down the voice of people in the country and this is just our way of making their voice alive so it's really important to be here it's really important to show face and make sure that people know that we're hearing them and their voice is not lost because they're killing our people in the name of islam these people are worse than any empire that existed they're worse than anything they're killing our young teenagers our sons and daughters they're killing them ruthlessly just for showing their hair it's important that people know this. That is, if you stay silent, you're just as bad as they are. Well, to just uh, tell the whole world that uh, this is this is the end of like um, dictatorship and censorship and just like oppressing people. 
Uh, we are just like trying to be voice of the people in Iran that they're protesting for their freedom. As an Iranian, it's important to support your nation. It's important to support the cause and especially what's going on. This is the least we can do here and we're all going to make sure we do it in the perfect way. We have to put an end to this brutal regime and we will. We want to send our voice to the to world to uh, hear us, what's happening in our country, that our women and brothers, sisters are getting hit, are getting killed on the streets for just uh, saying what they want, for just having saying their freedom, freedom of voice, freedom of choice. So they are getting killed. We wanted the world to know what's happening. It's important for me to be here to stand with the women of Iran, uh, not just Masa Amini, who had a very tragic uh, ending to her life, but also for all the other women who have died before her, also tragically, unfairly, uh, way ahead of their natural lifespan. And it's just uh, a question of equality and justice for women, first and foremost and the rest of it. So on the subject of religion, is this, uh, for you, is this a protest against Muslim faith or is it against Islamism or is it against the regime? What is it for you? It's all, it's not against religion, it's not against Islam, it's just against the regime of Iran. We don't want the Islamic Republic. Right now, the Islamic Republic is worse than Iran. We're not protesting against Muslims. We're, we're, we're all okay with each other. We, we love Muslims. There are a lot of Muslims in our country. We hate the government. Our issue is with the Islamic Republic of Iran, the government who's killing our youth, who's, who's making our country and our nation worse. That's our problem. We're united, every Persian, every Iranian, we're united to put an end to this, and we will. Yeah, this is not at all about Islam. Like, this is not at all about being against Islam or condemning Islam this is not at all about that I wish like I was saying I wish some of my hijab wearing sisters were here because it's not at all about like condemning Islam this is just about the cruelty and the human rights that goes around choice like simple simple human rights like going and having breakfast without the headscarf should you choose to do that you know going to a soccer game as a woman do you have family back in Iran right now and if so how are they doing with everything since last week the internet has been disabled and we don't have any connection with Iran we have family friends, relatives, and we don't know what's going on with them. We have no idea. We are here to be loud, clear. We want that Mullah's regime to end. We don't want that regime anymore. No compromise, no negotiation, nothing. We don't want that regime anymore. The communications I'm hearing have been cut the off. The Wi-Fi is cancelled. They're cancelling the Wi-Fi. They don't want us, they don't want you guys to know what's happening. That's the problem. I have family back in Iran, but with the, with the network situation that's going on, I can't speak with my family. I don't know how they're doing. But all I know is that every Persian, every Iranian living across the world, we're here to put an end. We're here to put an end to this government, to all these people, to all these people who are against, who are against the nation, who are killing tons, tons and tons of our youth. And we're here to, we're here to take over. We're, 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 we hate the Islamic Republic, and we're here to fight. We're here to fight for our own people. That's what we're here to do. What, if anything, would you like to see Canada do about what's happening in Iran? Well, just supporting the protest, um, the people of Iran as much as possible. Um, one thing that um, it's kind of rumors in, um, in in our community is that the 
the, uh, the country is basically a paradise for um, money laundry and um, like you know people who support this uh, sort of terrorist regime they can just easily come here enter the country you know have like a luxury life but um, we are, as, as Iranian people, we hope that Canada can just uh, stand against it and do something about it. Uh, if they can ban, um, or I don't know, if they, 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 they could just like um, make it, in a, in a way, make them to stop like entering the country somehow. Yeah, we'd like the Canadian government to stop giving these people visas. We'd like the Canadian government, especially Justin Trudeau, to deport these people that come here that use our people's money. We're here to tell them they aren't welcome here and we're here to tell them that they're going to be gone. Well, I would like the international community to be more involved, uh, more active in advocating for human rights, for women's rights, for uh, justice, for equity. And uh, if all of the international community consistently did that more, I think everyone would benefit. Well, there you have it. You heard from some of the people who attended this protest today, just one of many that are sparking around the world in response to what's going on in Iran. Many of the people here today said that they are not in contact with their family, that the online communications have been shut down. So, of course, we will be following that closely. And Rebel News reporters have been around Canada bringing you reports on this. You can check out some more of our coverage on this by clicking on the description box below and the link to the full written report. I'm Drea Humphrey for Rebel News.